Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now entering a critical thinking zone. zone. Thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. Why, yes, indeed, it is time for Critical Thinking. Thank you so much for joining. And if you're watching on the Rumble page, then you already know this. I... Andrew Coppins at The Coppins Show, wherever you would like to follow on the socials. I'm flying solo for today's show. Pat is a little bit under the weather. Uh, woke up a little sick, so I'm going to give him the day off. So you've got me, myself, and I rambling on for the next half hour, 45 minutes with you today, right? Yeah, kind of, sort of. So what are we going to do today on the show? Are we going to talk about the slapper around the Oscars that nobody watched even though we talked about that in the afterthought, which, by the way, if you want to know more about that, if you want to see the things that we talk about outside of the show, um, you can do that by becoming a critical thinker today. That's criticalthinking.locals.com backslash subscribe through the end of this month. So you have two more days, folks, two more days to get an advantage on everybody else. You get a free month if you go to that link, criticalthinking.locals.com backslash subscribe, enter the code new era, again, new era, and you'll get a free month from the day that you enter that code. Otherwise, it's as little as $2 a month or $20 a year. If you want to donate more to the cause of critical thinking, then you can, but that's all that we are asking of you right now. Again, criticalthinking.locals.com backslash subscribe. If you do that today, Tomorrow and the next day, you will be good. But after the end of March, it will cost you that $2 or $20 a year to become a critical thinker. Alongside of us, you're going to get the afterthought. You're going to get uh, some exclusive interviews. You're going to also get the book club as we start that back up. Now, all of that out of the way. Um, do not forget, you can also download the podcast. You can subscribe wherever you find your podcast. But um, if you're on the Rumble page, there is no excuse for you not to go to the Locals page and become a critical thinker. Literally, you just click the Join button up top. Or 
um, right above the description of this video is the link that you just click and you'll be taken right there. It's free to join the community, but if you want to get the afterthought, if you want to get some of this exclusive content, you have to become a critical thinker. All right. All of that out of the way. Um, we had a lot planned and a lot of that is going to go out the window. So here's what we are and aren't going to do. Um, we're not going to be talking about Will Smith and his apology or whatever's going on in Hollywood. Um, but what we are going to talk about is what seems to be a dirty word in our society these days, and, and that's capitalism. Now, I want to give you a caveat up front because myself, I don't describe myself as a capitalist. I describe myself as a free marketeer because I believe the greatest social and economic good is done when people are allowed to freely associate and freely trade regardless of where they live. If a company in China makes a better product at a cheaper price than somebody here in America, maybe that's what I want. Or alternatively, maybe I want to choose to support the person down the street and maybe I'm willing to pay a dollar more or 10 cents more or 20 cents more or $5 more to support them. Or I want to support the ingenuity of other people all across the world. That's why I ascribe myself as a free marketeer. I believe that in free markets and free association gets us to the greatest social and economic good. Having said that, capitalism is a form of free market principles. It is a stepping stone, if you will, towards absolute freedom of economy. But it has become a dirty word here in America. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. And it's because, and here's something I'm going to shock you with. I agree with something that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had to say, sort of. So I'm going to let you hear what she had to say, and then we're going to discuss. Tell you a secret. Most people don't really know what capitalism is. Most people don't even know what socialism is. But most people are not capitalists because they don't have capitalist money. They're not billionaires. Sometimes the label doesn't matter as much as just talking about policies. That's easier to understand. Do you think people should die because they can't afford insulin? Do you think that fossil fuel CEO should decide whether the planet gets set on fire? Me neither. So obviously I have no agreement with the last part here because it's a setup for every talking point of the Democratic Socialist of America over the past decade plus, right? But... She does have a point, and the point that she has is the first point that she made. Most people don't understand the term capitalism, and most people don't understand the term socialism. In fact, um, you can go to um, the YouTube page that we have had, and you can see me talk about the debunking of not just Scandinavian socialism, but also the, the concept of the increase in socialist thought here in America, especially amongst the younger set. There are a couple of things that are totally incongruent. On the one hand, a lot of them say they are socialist. On the other hand, they say that um, by a 
major majority that capitalism has lifted more people out of poverty and, and some other things. So go check out that YouTube video. In fact, I'll probably link it in the description of this on the rumble page. Um, but outside of all of that, she is correct again, that we don't understand the terms because a lot of people today think we are still living in a capitalistic society. And Pat and I have talked a long time about the fact that we no longer really do live in a capitalistic society. We don't. The intertwinement of government and big business, government and business, is such that we do live in an actual oligarchy here in America. You've got your social media platforms. You've got your Facebooks intertwined with government. Take a look at the interference in the election of 2020 from Facebook directly, right? Mark Zuckerberg and his wife used their capitalistic wealth to not just influence politicians, but the actual physical voting and the apparatus of voting in this country in the 2020 election. You have Apple, Amazon, you have a ton of other companies large companies, Coca-Cola, Disney, all great examples, using their power to influence government policy in a way that is anti-competitive, in a way that does not allow for the next Amazon, for the next Apple, for the next great idea in entertainment to take hold. And we've seen this in so much as what they did to Parler, what they've attempted to do to other companies. Google is a prime example of it. We've seen it with Google and Amazon especially. What do they do with direct competitors? They buy them up or they crush them out of competition because they can't afford to not do business. Or more importantly, Google signs exclusivity with other companies that would prevent them from continuing to grow. And it's all done at the behest of changing laws, changing regulations, the bureaucratic nightmares that happen at the behest of government. Government and big business have been intertwined. So what AOC doesn't understand is we actually are closer to a socialistic society than we are to capitalism today. So on the one hand, she is correct. We don't know that what that term means anymore. We think we know what it means, but we don't. We also think we know what the term socialism means, and apparently we don't. Because even... Even... AOC would admit that she's not a real socialist. She believes in a democratic version of socialism. But that's not socialism. So we get the terms wrong from the very get-go. But notice how she suddenly turns to it's capitalism that creates the issues with insulin or creates the issues with other things, right? And I find the insulin argument to be hilarious. Not in the fact that um, people have trouble buying insulin. Um, I have many people in my family who are diabetic. I am keenly aware of the importance 
of insulin for those individuals. Having said that, ask yourself one question. Why is insulin so expensive? Well, it's actually, ironically, two things. It is the patent system, and it is government regulation. Those are the two deciding factors. It is so expensive to go through the regulatory process of the FDA for insulin and other drugs. Okay? And then more importantly, it's also anti-competitive in, in the sense of drugs have patents, right? Well, why do we have patents for drugs? Well, of course we have patents for drugs because it takes forever a day and a crap ton of money to develop a drug along the FDA guideline. So in order to recoup the money, either it's exclusivity or high prices. And then in the case of insulin, it's also because there's a scarcity of the product available. So is the, the answer to the insulin question more government or less government? Is it more patent protection or less patent protection? And I don't want to fully go down the road of patents and, and non-patents and all that sort of stuff because I, I think that's a whole kettle of fish for a different day. But we also see people afraid to stand up for capitalism as a stepping stone to a free market economy. We see people saying, well, sure, there are flaws in capitalism, and it's not perfect, but it's the greatest system to have ever existed. And I'm going to put up on the screen here, so if you're, not, if you're listening and not watching, again, it's rumble.com backslash critical thinking. Subscribe. Uh, make sure you get notified. Um, and then join the critical thinkers out there, all 400 plus of you um, that have joined that community. But I want you to see this, okay? Because this is the example that has been used about capitalism and poverty. And we're going to go down this road in a, in a second. But I want you to see this hockey stick in front of you, okay? Because what you are seeing is the entire GDP per person in 2011 U.S. dollars from all of recorded history to 2016, okay? And what you will notice is <clears throat> literally nowhere in the world, Belgium, Spain, Iran, Italy, Tunisia, Switzerland, uh, France, Iraq, Jordan, Turkey, Egypt, Greece, Israel, and Portugal, just some countries all across the globe, <clears throat> wherever actual capitalism has been tried, that GDP has skyrocketed since about 1820-ish. Isn't that, isn't that interessante? Isn't that interesting? Now, I point all of this out to, to say this. You don't have to be defensive of capitalism. You have to recognize that our system today doesn't include it. 
It has capitalistic tendencies. Could you create the next big thing? Yeah, absolutely. We still could do that. But the reality of what is going on with government interaction with business is that it has become something other than capitalism. But you can defend capitalism and say that, yes, I defend it, and yes, I can go on offense. I, I, I don't need to be defensive of capitalism. I can be offensive. But the disingenuous part of AOC's argument here is that somehow the, the greater good is now going to be served by more government intervention. That's the disingenuous part of this. But to those who want to take on capitalism as if it doesn't lift more people out of poverty than, in, than any other system in the history of the world, because that's often the argument that capitalists will make in defense of capitalism, it's not perfect, but it's done this. No system is ever going to be perfect. Here's the reality of that, okay? A free market economy is going to have holes in it because you're free, okay? Because businesses are free. Society is free. That means that, guess what? You're free to fail just like you're free to succeed. There are no going to be, there are no guarantees going to be handed out to you. But I wanted to bring up a video, um, that I think you would find interesting. And it's this concept of taking on the, the main crux of the capitalistic defense, right? That more people are lifting out of extreme poverty. The productive nature of capitalism has been good for society. So I want you to... to we're going to break down basically all of this here in the next portion of the show. Um, but again, thank you, by the way, to each and every one of you. Continue to donate to Dave, Faith, and Mr. Clarence and everything going on. If you follow uh, DMXDM on Twitter, then you know the struggles that they're having with um, the insurance company and housing and all of those things. So every single dollar that you can donate, again, go to my uh, Twitter page. Again, it's at the Coppin Show, and you'll find on that Twitter page, pinned right to the top, the link to the Fundly. If you can donate $10 today or $10 a paycheck, um, whatever you can donate over the course of the next month, month and a half, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, they have a lot of ex unknown and unforeseen expenses due to issues with said insurance company. So um, your continued support is going to be vital uh, to their recovery. All right. Having said all of that, um, let's go ahead and, and, and take a look at this video here because um, holy smokes, folks, absolutely holy smokes is, is all I have to say. Um, and I believe that this comes from, <clears throat> excuse me, um, this comes from the Gravel Institute. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at it. Here's something you hear a lot. Say what you will about capitalism, you can't deny it's lifted people out of poverty. I hear that all the time. 
especially when I'm talking about rising inequality and the vanishing middle class. The rates of extreme poverty, we are told, have plummeted under global capitalism. We are told that global capitalism has cut poverty by as much as 80 or 90 percent. This reminds me of my mother. Whenever I ranted about how bad the situation was today, she would tell me how much worse it had been before. Be grateful for the improvements, Richard, she would say. So, so I love the remember my mother moment. Um, that, As you can see, this is going to be logical fallacy after logical fallacy coming up here. But first off, I, I've... Am I the only one here who has never had that conversation? Never said, well, sure, to just no? I, I, I mean, have, have you ever had a conversation with anybody saying, you know what, you ungrateful bastard, right? You ungrateful human being. Um, don't you know how bad things were before and you should be thankful? For, just no? I, I don't know anybody who has ever had that that conversation. But let's continue with the Gravel Institute's uh, video here. These champions of capitalism are slick, I'll give them that, but here's why they're wrong. Their clever math comes from how they define poverty. According to the World Bank, anyone making under a dollar and ninety cents a day is considered poor. Everyone else is okay. But that number isn't actually based on the living costs of any actual person. It's totally arbitrary. Could you live on $1.90 a day? The United Nations doesn't think so. They say everyone would need at least four times that, $7.40 a day, to get the absolute minimum for, quote, basic nutrition and normal human life expectancy, end quote. Okay, um, you want to talk about clever math. This is the trick of statistics, right, and data, really. And I know this because it's vitally important in business to understand and test your hypothesis against reality and to, to continuously iterate off of data and understand if the data is telling you what you think it's telling you or what you want it to tell you. And, and the trick is that I could get statistics to say anything that I want it to say. That's the reality of the situation here. I can manipulate data to make it seem as if some big major problem is on the horizon here or is happening. But it's about how little, how much, what types of data I'm gathering, but do you notice the clever, I'm going to use his words, sleight of hand that is used by this individual? Do you notice it? It is the conflation of extreme poverty and livable. They're two different standards. So suddenly we're, we have gone, um, a, a, according to Richard Wolff, by the way, who is the, the narrator of this, um, this piece, we, have, we are now supposed to believe that um, the UN's numbers of extreme poverty, right, which is defined as $1.90 a day, okay, we're, we're not supposed to take that UN number, but we're supposed to take the other one, which is about livability. Those are two different arguments. 
two completely different sets of statistics and two completely different standards. I, I, I don't know how you accomplish that. I don't know how you conflate the two and expect us to believe that, um, well, one is telling us um, something that's not good and the other is telling us that something is good. Because here's the reality. Nobody has ever made the argument that capitalism is the end-all be-all, right? Nobody has made the argument that capitalism solves everything. But the reality of the situation is that capitalism has done what? Lifted more people out of poverty than ever in the human history. He doesn't even argue that. He takes that argument and conflates it. Okay? So I want you to understand that. And that's why that's why poverty versus poor, right? That's the argument he's making. Well, I don't want to talk about poverty. I want to talk about poor, right? The standard has changed. But Richard Wolf continues. Using this more realistic number, the number of people in poverty has actually increased over the last four decades to a whopping 4.2 billion. Poverty has gone up, not down. But hey, at least a proportion of people in poverty has gone down, they might say. But what's actually the reason for that? Was it really capitalism that was our knight in shining armor? As a matter of fact, almost all of that reduction in poverty has been in one country, China, not in the countries where American-style capitalism was exported. Mm. <laughs> hmm. Um, I don't know if I need to tell Richard Wolf this or not, but maybe you want to check the history of China. Maybe, just maybe, you want to check the term poor versus poverty. Poverty is meant in extreme poverty, right? The measure of that are the, the, the reason why it matters, I should say this, is that when you take a look at extreme poverty, you are taking a look at the ability to access running water, um, therefore to get you to a baseline of moving up the GDP and economic and societal food chains over time, Right. If you don't have the basics, running water, if you don't have the basics for sanitation, if you don't have the basics for this, you don't have the ability for increasing the longevity of life. You don't have the ability to increase health. And when you increase human health and when you increase human stability, you increase their ability to reach the next rung, to reach that $5 a day mark, to reach the $740 a day mark, which, by the way, the UN marks $1.90, it marks $3, it marks $5, it marks $740, it marks $10 as well, and then continues up uh, the food chain. And when you look at all things up to that $740 mark, um, it's increased over and over and over and over again. And Euron Brook is really, really famous for talking about this. You cannot take somebody who's making $1.90 a day, give them $10, $15, $20 an hour, and expect that society to survive either. Why? Because the building blocks of the society are not there either. Could they build those building blocks successfully? 
potentially. But it is only through the incremental increase in how much you're making a day, how much you're making in an hour, how much this, that, or the next thing is happening, that the individual and the society can improve. It doesn't happen overnight. For instance, a great example is actually what uh, China is doing in Africa right now, especially in Ethiopia. They have all these great trains running all over uh, Ethiopia, run by China, right? Except for the vast majority of people in Ethiopia have no way to afford the ability to use the trains. It's all done as a way to influence Ethiopian politics and society towards their style of socialistic capitalism, if you will. And I'm about to get into that because he points out China, right, as the example of, well, if you take China away, this is about where he's, this is where he's about to go, right? If you take China out of the equation, if you take a look at China, they don't tell you capitalism is a success. I, I have a feeling this is where this is going. China accomplished this with massive government industrial spending and social programs that it calls socialist. With a few exceptions, the rest of the world has seen very little progress in reducing poverty. If you exclude China, then not only has the number of people in poverty increased, but the proportion of people in poverty hasn't fared much better, ticking down a measly 5.4% over 40 years. At that rate, experts project it would take more than 200 years to come close to eliminating poverty. And that's only if there are never any recessions and the global economy manages to reach 173 times its current size. All right. So now you see the, the goal is now moving. The goalpost moves again to the complete and total elimination of poverty. Not extreme poverty, but poverty. Mind you, less than 10% of today's world lives in extreme poverty. But because the group has lifted from extreme poverty, but hasn't reached $7.40 a day, um, suddenly that's bad. And it, and it hasn't done that in the last, what, 20 years. Because remember, the vast majority of that down to 10% has happened in the last 20 years, according to UN statistics, okay? But because it hasn't gone from $1.90 all the way to $7.40 overnight, um, that's bad. Now, here's my main issue with all of this. Mr. Richard Wolf. what do you think? What, what happened in China that flipped the switch here? What, what happened? Because um, the vast majority of history in China has been feudalism, has been poverty, has been um, tribalism, has been um, not even capitalistic at all, ever, period, amen. And the vast majority of people inside China have lived in abject extreme poverty for the entire history of China as we know it. Okay? So what what is 
if, if you're telling us that we have to exclude China, if we are to just look at China, so let's take it out of the equation, right? And then just put it under the microscope. What, what part of Chinese society has allowed this to happen? Well, according to him, it is big government, social spending, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Well, in order for big government social spending and all of those things to happen, what has to happen? Either two things must be true. Either the government is totally and completely just spending money out of thin air, which is quite possible, or alternatively, they have turned to a market economy within a socialized structure, within side a communist government framework. It's government and its actual economic policy are separate. What, what, which one do you think has happened? That the, the, the magical social spending and, and everything else has, has been what has lifted um, people out of their abject poverty? Or has it been opening to a much more free market economy? I'm going to go with um, the ladder for a thousand. Alex Trebek, rest in peace. Um, and here's why. What was going on with um, the Great Revolution in China? What have we seen in North Korea? Even more of a communistic society. What about Vietnam? What about other countries that have gone down the road of pure communism before? It turns out that it means abject world Ending poverty, starvation, not growth, not anything. The one-child policy in China came about because of why? The inability of government and the economy to handle increases in population and birth rate and all of these things, right? Then we can talk about the simple fact that um, they starved Famine is a thing that exists in North Korea today. Why? Because they refuse to participate in a global economy, in a world market, in free economics, in capitalism. China right next to it props it up mostly. But China is only in that position and has only ever been in that position in its entire history after it began to open up its economy. Now, it is true that they control a lot of the economy. They control a lot. But it is far more capitalistic today than it has ever been in its entire history. And the coincidence of all of that is that it has allowed the government to get rich. It has allowed more individuals, who the government have allowed, to get rich than ever before. These aren't just giant wastelands, although those exist. But Shanghai, Beijing, other places in China are not just 
vast, vast wastelands. Again, they have been building those vast, vast wastelands. Why? Because they need to burn through money in their economy. But that's a separate issue for a separate day. The whole point here is, Mr. Richard Wolf, are you really suggesting that it was the great revolution of Mao Zedong that, that did this? The great social spending of Mao Zedong? Or was it um, the realization that, oh, crap, um, capitalism allows us to even out things in a much greater formation? And it's the introduction of McDonald's and Apple and all of these other companies into their economic system that has allowed them to grow. Because what you are telling us is that more people have gone out of poverty in China and we have to separate it because if we don't separate it, um, it doesn't prove your point. If we are to keep it in, it proves the point of capitalism. But he is not done because he's got another red herring for us all. That's not to say some things haven't gotten better. But where they are, it's because of ambitious government programs. That's why Cuba, an avowedly socialist country under a decades-long embargo, has a lower rate of infant mortality, a higher life expectancy, and a higher rate of literacy than the much wealthier United States. And that's also why the countries with the lowest poverty are places like Denmark and Finland. It's no mystery. No advanced economy has ever achieved low poverty rates without high levels of government social spending. Okay, look, I have talked about the Scandinavian model almost ad nauseum, but here is the crux of the matter. All of those numbers that he talks about and all of the things that he is talking about when it comes to the Scandinavian social spending and society, blah, 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 have only become true after the renunciation of pure socialistic economic policy. Is it true that they have large social safety nets? Is it true that they're paying 50, 60 percent of some income levels? Yes. Okay. I would argue that's bad for society. But here's the reality. It is only after they eliminated socialistic economic policy and turned to actual capitalism running the economy, right? Socialism is the marriage of state and business. Socialism is state-run business. It is only after Svedka. It is only after, you know, all of these types of things happened in Scandinavian countries, after the dissolution of government ownership of the vast majority of the economy, that the social parts of society that he's trying to measure here increased. Mortal, uh, you know, infant mortality rates decreasing, birth rates increasing, blah, 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 blah. But I want to go back to the very beginning here because he points to Cuba and the birth rate. And we have seen this time and time again, time in memoriam from people advocating for direct socialism. Okay, People advocating for socialist economic policy. First off, Cuba is not socialist. Cuba is 
communist. There is a difference between the two. Okay? A big-time difference. Is their economy more socialistic than communist? Perhaps. But it comes at the behest of a communist government. Now, secondly, this, this Cuban versus American birth rate argument that I've heard almost ad nauseum infin- to infinity and beyond and all that wonderful goodness, this argument is an absolute red herring. And here's why. Statistics matter, and how you measure those statistics matter. What if I told you that the American birth rate and the Cuban birth rate are, wait for it, measured in completely different ways? So here in America, we measure the birth rates, the birth rates based off of um, viability of a fetus, which we measure as 22 weeks today. Okay, it is much more likely that at 22 weeks of birth that a baby will not survive than it is at full gestation, okay? Cuba measures its birth rate from the time the the baby is born at the full nine-month period or eight months or whatever, okay? It measures that. And then only through the first few hours of birth. After those few hours of birth, it becomes not an infant, but a child death. It's a manipulation of the statistic. Okay? An absolute and total manipulation of that stat. But... There's more to the story when it comes to Cuba because even if you were to take them at their face value, their birth rate was 28.2 per 1,000, okay, in 1971. By 2020, that number has dropped to 9.8. They actually have a falling birth rate in that country. And furthermore, their infant mortality rate has gone sky high as of late compared to us. You know, they like to talk, well, our our rate is is 100 times worse. Again, only because of how they measure it versus how we do. If you would make the comparison of apples to apples, the United States of America is infinitesimally better in terms of its birth rate. It's astronomically better. It just holy smokes, people. Now, at the end of the day here, what do we see from Richard Wolff and the like? It's conflation of terms. It's misrepresenting the statistics. And most importantly, it is a misrepresentation of what a economic part of society looks like, whether that's picking Scandinavia or China or wherever, right? It only turns out that when you pick and choose 
to tell us the governmental policies versus the economic policies, do you get to the warped things in your mind? This is absolute crap. And all of this is to say, this isn't about defending capitalism. You don't have to. You can just be offensive. Just be offensive when it comes to capitalism and work to improve the capitalistic society towards much more free market societies. Singapore is almost as close as we have to an actual free market. It has much more socialistic tendencies towards its governmental policy. It, just take a look at what it did during COVID-19 on that front. But its economy is booming because of its free market principles, which leads to the ability for people to agree on social good, which leads people to focus in on finding ways for the economy to benefit those who might struggle because there are holes in every system, but in a feudal system, but in a communist system, but in a socialist system, in a monarchical system, in a mercantile system, those people on the bottom of the totem pole will never ever have the ability to move themselves up that ladder. Never. That is the difference between capitalism, free markets, and the rest of the systems in the world. If you can show me a system in the world in which the economic power of the bottom of the rung has ever increased the way that it does in a capitalistic slash free market society, I will gladly eat my words. And with that, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. And as always, Matthew 547. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.